0: God is still, throughout the church, unlocking the parts of the army that are still bound and and limited because of the same sort of thing. So I want to talk today um, about roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. And um, we'll just turn to Joshua, because the first thing God said to Joshua at this time is, You've got to be very courageous. You know, this is a time for courage. They actually didn't need the courage so much before when they were in the wilderness and watching everybody that had unbelief die off and funeral after funeral after funeral and just getting the manner every day to survive. It actually didn't take a lot of courage then, but this time takes tremendous courage. We've actually got to stand up and we've got to start to believe and take hold of what God says and step out in it. (laughs) And that takes courage. That's why he said to Joshua, be strong. And be courageous, because the job I've got for you is going to take that. It's going to take that courage. And so, of course, they had a season. They had a fresh commitment to the Word of God, promised to live according to the Word of God, which is how we're designed to walk out of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is the thing which we build our life around and line ourselves up with. They made a fresh commitment to that. They set themselves apart to God. And, uh, and the interesting was the enemy actually was quaking in its shoes, they knew that uh, there was impending judgment coming to them. The people out there, the enemy, actually knows that, uh, that uh, there is a God in Israel and, and, there is, um, and they have got a, a destiny. That's not good. The trouble is we start to say the wrong things. It's what we believe that matters. And um, they had a tremendous victory where they supernaturally walls came down. A fortified city, strong fortified city, And with the presence and power of God, releasing and decreeing the power of God, those walls came tumbling down, and there's a tremendous victory. And that was, again, it's a picture of what God's doing today supernaturally. It's not by might or by power. It's by His Spirit, decreeing and declaring God kind of things. And as they heard the sound and blasted on their trumpets and made a great shout of what the God in Israel was all about, Wow, this huge city came down. But the thing is about this city, God had given them directions about the city. He said, this is the first fruit city. The first fruit city, all the gold and the silver belongs to me. It's actually a bit like tithing. He says there's a tremendous releasing of finance and what he wants to do for you, but there's a portion that belongs to him, and we've got to kind of do things God's way. And people don't always like to agree with that because... As I got onto the chapter 7, I just got stirred again as I looked at what Achan did. One man in the camp, he'd heard the word, he knew the boundaries, and yet it says here in Joshua chapter 7, they went into the next city, and they thought, wow, we're a great people of God, God's on our side, there's nothing we cannot do, and they went into battle. And they, um, but uh, from that first city, he'd taken things, which belonged to God, and hid them in his tent, and covered them all over, and kept it all secret. I thought, ooh, that sounded a bit like what I did. (laughs) Things that was not right in God's eyes. But Achan's problem was, he just buried it. Just buried it and thought nobody would notice, and kept it hidden in his tent. But the thing is, God does notice these things. And I believe even now in the church, he's still noticing things that are buried in your tent. And what's more, it's hindering the whole army. The whole army uh, were affected by the secret sin. And what's more, the Holy Ghost in that time was on this and uncovered it. He had to do it. He had to lead them to the family and the person and the actual situation and then uncover it and say, hey, what's going on here? You know, Achan could have run for mercy. Achan could have, when he knew he'd sinned, run and and said, look, I've done so wrong, will you forgive me? And put it right. But the thing is, he kept it hidden, and he didn't say anything. He just sat on it. And when he was finally confronted in in Joshua 7, verse 21, he said, "I, I actually saw among the goods this lovely Babylonish garment, like these Turkish garments I saw in Turkey. Beautiful things, I saw it. And a seed thought was dropped into his mind. Ah, I like that. That looks pretty good to me. And some shekels of silver and a wedge of gold. And I actually coveted them. Something in my heart really wanted that for me. So I, I, I came into agreement with that thought. Whoa, that looks good. I'd love to do that, you know. It might be sex outside of marriage. It might be keeping you tired. It might be something that was outside the boundary that God had. But something in you thought, oh, that would be good. Wouldn't mind a bit of that. And then you came into agreement with it, took action on it, and then buried the thing. But the cost of that was huge. It affected his whole family line. And it meant that when the army went into battle next, they had a, a, a terrible defeat. Lives were lost and things happened. So it's still this area of secret sin, which I believe God is still wanting us to front up to. Because fortunately now, we don't have to be stoned and put to death when we've sinned against God. There's deliverance, there's freedom, there's the blood of Jesus. All we've got to do is own it. And He can release and set us totally free from the effects of all these things. But we've got a part to play. And that part that we have to play is, is what I'm going to pick up in this next passage in John 11. John 11 is, again, a, um, a story leading to this crunch line, roll away the stone. But, um and again, uh, Mary and Martha had a crisis in their home. And, uh, and I love what Doug was sharing today in, in his offering, me- in his um, communion message. We actually have a choice whether we live focused on Jesus, or are we going to focus on circumstances? Because here's a situation where what you focus on will determine how you respond. Now, there's Mary and there's Martha, and it says in John 11 that um, Lazarus, um, uh, uh, Lazarus was sick, and um, and Mary who so loved. Jesus, she had already poured out her love, and she would listened to his words, knew who he was, knew he was going to die, and just had lavished love on him. And, um, and, and it says that the one whom you love is sick, but it said that Jesus loved them all. He, he loved the three of them. He said Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. Jesus loves them. And he wanted to display his glory in this situation. He said, "This sickness is not to death, but I want to display my glory. He wanted to use this crisis to release his glory. Just like he used our, our, marriage, our family crisis, he brought his glory into it. He wanted to use it for his glory. But it does take a response. And um, so he delayed. He didn't come when they thought he'd come, do what he thought he'd do. And, there was a, um, and, he, and Lazarus actually died. But then Jesus said, he said, put it out in verses 9 and 10. He said, okay, there's two ways you can walk. You can walk in the light. Who's the light of this world? Jesus. You can actually walk with a Jesus focus and see every situation through the eyes and through what Jesus said about things. Or you can walk in in darkness and stumble. He says, if, if you walk in the night without a Jesus focus, just walk according to all the, what you think you can see and feel and touch. You will stumble. And he said, I want you to, he really wanted to show the difference in these sort of things. So um, as he went on, um, he came and, um, he, and Lazarus died. And then he started um, coming towards Mary and Martha several days late. Now, I want you to compare Martha and Mary, not on her works and what she did, but in her thought life. Because it's her thought life, which is the crunch here. Um, Martha, when she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. And she said, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. (laughs) She actually was, I think, quite disappointed with Jesus. She was probably quite angry, really. She'd felt abandoned by him. and, And really, she was starting to blame him. If you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you had answered that prayer, I wouldn't have to go through all the suffering. I prayed, I prayed, and prayed, and nothing happened. And, and I actually feel quite cross with you. <laughs> I feel like you don't care about me. I don't know if any of you can identify with these sort of thoughts. <laughs> You've had a crisis, and what's in your thought pattern now are really these kind of thoughts. Somehow God doesn't care about me, and I really felt really abandoned, really let down, and um, it was... and. Uh, And and he was trying to get her attention. And and, um, he said to her, um, in verse 22, she said, I know know that you you, you connect with God and what God says to you will happen. And he said a word of life to her. He said, your brother will rise again. He spoke to her, spoke life-giving words into her spirit. But she couldn't receive them because she was so blinded by her network of beliefs that had already built up in her mind. And she said, I know he's going to rise again, the resurrection. I know that one day in heaven, I'll meet him again. But he actually wasn't talking about meeting again in heaven. He's saying, right now, I am the resurrection and the life for you today. And that's what she couldn't receive. And some people are so religious, they all the things God's going to do in the future. But right now in your situation, he is the resurrection and the life. He is able to release life into your situation today. Oh, now that's another thing to grip hold of. Especially if you're feeling rejected, feeling that nobody loves you. God doesn't really love you. I know he'll do it to Mary. I know he'll do it to anybody else in this country. But I don't think he'll do it to me because somehow I'm a second-rate citizen. Somehow I've been cast aside. Somehow I've been abandoned. I don't actually think I can grape hold of that truth now. In fact, I don't even receive it for now. I can only receive it in the futuristic Tense. And he said, he that believes in me, the condition is you've got to believe that truth, even though he was dead, he would live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? She's saying, that, you know, Lazarus can live, and even you can live. you can live. You can live. You can live. But can you believe it? And um, really, she couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe it for her situation right now, today. And I think she went away. Still just hanging on to the truth. She knew God was God. She knew it was a miracle-working God. She knew in the future all sorts of things were going to happen in heaven. But she couldn't take a personal um, encounter with God or right into her situation of tremendous pain. And she said, I know you're the, you're the God, Christ, the son of the living God. And then she went away and she sort of got Mary and said, you know, he wants to talk to you. Now, this is a woman who actually had a God fo- focus. Martha was really stumbling in the dark So overwhelmed and focused on the circumstances, she couldn't see who Jesus really was and what he was trying to declare himself to be. But Mary, if you'd remember back a few verses, a few chapters, Mary was the one that treasured Jesus' words. She sat when he was speaking live now words to her and took them for herself. I mean, I don't know how many people in church on Sunday actually take now words for yourself and embrace them and live in them now or maybe he's speaking to you in your quiet time and speaking trying to get your attention life-giving words now and you're taking them in and 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 they become alive inside you because that was the sort of person Mary was so as soon as she saw Jesus she immediately knew you are the resurrection on the life she said the same words but with a totally different tone and, and belief system behind it you are who I know you are because I've listened to you talk. I've listened to you share what you've come for. I've listened to, to what you said you're going to do, and I know that. That's why I've poured out the oil upon you and prepared you for burial because I know who you are. It had become an intimate, vital, living relationship to her. And so she was God-focused. She was actually walking in the light with the God-focused. And, um, but it's an interesting thing with Mary, I mean with Martha, in verse 30, Jesus actually couldn't proceed any further from where Martha held him out. Her unbelief and unwillingness to bring him into her deep area of brokenness kept Jesus out there. I wonder how many people here, Jesus is still stopped in your walk out there where you last time he tried to get your attention and tell you he wanted to do something tremendous for you and you just couldn't take those words on board. You just somehow thought they were for someone else or someone... It just couldn't be received. You couldn't believe. And he's still in your situation out there. But Mary went right to where Jesus is. She, she, she loved him, and she went right to him. And she had a totally different relationship with him. And um, so in verse 30, Jesus stayed at that place. But Mary went on out, fell at his feet, and just adored him and decreed and said what she knew about him. Now, what I love in these situations is Jesus. When you do get close to him like that, and you've got a very, very painful situation, he always asks questions which you often don't want to answer. <laughs> and uh, this is where I found is the biggest thing is to be prepared to listen to those questions and answer them. He said to him, "Take me to that place. I want to visit that place in your life. Where is that place? I want to go to that place." of pain, of brokenness, where you felt so, so broken on the inside. Take me to that place. I want to go to that place with you. He went with them to that place. And on the way, he was actually interceding and groaning. You know what? Even now, Jesus is in heaven as a great high priest interceding for you. Even as you're going to some of those places you don't want to go to because they're too painful, he's actually praying and interceding and going there with you, if you will actually respond to him and go and um, and then he said something take away the stone oh (laughs) now because Martha didn't want to go there don't go there it stinks it's a horrible place I don't want to uncover that area of my life again it's in the past let's move on let's get on with positive things just don't visit that place (laughs) I've heard it all coming out of a lot of you don't go there It's passed. It's moved on. Let's move on. Let's go and have a party. Let's get positive. He said, That's where I want to go. I want you to roll away the stone. But something inside you then is facing with a horrible, grappling (laughs) choice, really. And I could just see so clearly in the spirit this week I just see so many people still in a cave, still in a broken, wounded place they don't want to look at. And I just see this big, big stone there it's a big stone but on the other side of the stone there's Jesus who is the resurrection and the life he's able to bring life out of death he's able to enter that situation and turn it around and change it around and get you up on your feet again but the stone is in the way there's this stone there now what is the stone I believe the stone is your network of beliefs that you formed about the situation that's keeping them out you don't want it because you believe, I had this myself on Monday, I came to Tuesday, I came back from that, first day at the seminar, and I started to remember painful early situations, I thought, ah. and then Mike and Steve had gone shooting, bless them, and Tara and I were there, and she's very good at asking pertinent questions, so she started to question me, and I actually didn't want to go there, and when I did go there, I started to weep, I thought, ah. I'll go up to my room, but I actually asked myself the questions, what are you thinking? What is in your belief system? Write them down. Look at them. Is that true? What would happen if? And you've got to get ruthless and challenge those things which are blocking the Jesus from entering in. And Jesus is great at asking questions. I love it when you go into, um, in Genesis 3, right in the very beginning, when Adam sinned. Those questions, those questions that Jesus asks, Genesis 3, when he, he came upon Adam and he's in the situation, he said quite pertinent questions. What did he say? He said, um, I'll read it from the Bible. Uh, Genesis 3.8. He says, um, where, are, where are you hiding? Where are you hiding? And uh, did you listen to that other voice? And did you do an action? He actually put his things on three things. Why, why are you hiding, is the first thing, because you actually got a place there that's hidden, you don't want to go there, and he says, he touches that there, and says, why are you there? And then he says, did you actually listen to another voice? Did you come into agreement with another voice somewhere along the line? And has that become now part of your, your hiding place? And you're hiding and nursing all your fears there because you've listened to that other, did you actually do something? Did you actually eat of that tree? Did you have some actions that you did at that point? Those questions that God gives actually get right down to what's going on inside, don't they? Oh, I hate those questions, but they're the way out. They actually are the way out. Even Elijah. Why are you hiding, Elijah? Where are you? He actually asks those questions. And know, roll away the stone. I want to talk to you about that. And I'm going to actually get you to face things. I want you to face what's You've come to the conclusion. You might have been like, Martha, I've actually come to the conclusion that God doesn't care about me. I've been abandoned all my life and everybody's just left me high and dry and they haven't come through for me when I wanted them. Nobody was there for me when I wanted them. Da, 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 so I might as well nurse my fears and stay in this safe hiding place. You know, there's actually too many of us still in that sort of place. And, um, your circumstances might be bad. You think, God won't come through for me. I don't want to look into that. It's all covered over. It's in the past. Get over it. I'm of little value to God. I'm of little value to others. All this sort of, anybody think that way? Okay, those are your strongholds. And I love that verse in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10. He just describes those strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. He talks about every belief that exalts itself above what God says. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to pull down that wall, that stronghold. Cast down the imagination or the thought or the conclusion that you came to, and it's a high thing. It's a high thing in your mind, and it actually exalts itself above God's truth. Because did Jesus love Martha? Yes, he said at the beginning of the chapter, he loved Martha. But she had totally concluded he can't have had any time for her. He didn't come when she prayed. He didn't do what she thought she'd do. And she'd had a stronghold built up. And we've got to pull down that stronghold. We've actually got to look at it and say, actually, this is what I've concluded and believed. But really, I'm going to have to admit in the presence of God right now that it's, it's exalted itself above the um, knowledge of God, what God says in his word, what I know to be true. It's just a conclusion I've come to. It's just sort of seemed true for me, and I've believed that, and I've hidden behind that, and I've got a nice little safe hiding place. But actually, it's time to look at that big um, wall and start to put some pressure on that stone. You've got to push against those beliefs. And when you push against those beliefs, you're going to find they're not going to be able to stand very strong in the light of God's presence. Because what he says is totally true, and his ways are above our ways, and what he says is true, and we've actually just built a nice little wall around our secret hiding place. Mine was denial and all sorts of things, and I lived there for a long time. But we've now got to bring those thoughts that we've been thinking into obedience to what God actually says. Because he's wanting to bring us out of death, bring us out of that hiding place of lying down. He's actually wanting to get us all standing up. And there's too many people in God's army that are crippled and are not able to flow and run together because they're still in captivity in a part of their life. And God is desperately wanting to get every one of you up on your feet again. Up on your feet again. You know, Ezekiel looked at all the valley of bones, bones, bones scattered. And he said, this has got to change. And all those bones, it says, he, he says, breathe on the slain and they will live. Speak God's word into them. I will open your graves. I will cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into what you're called to do. This is the time that God really wants to speak his life and words into those grave places, those cave places. Those places that you've got the big stone over. Because he said, I'm going to cause you to stand up again. Just like happened in Ezekiel. There's a mighty army that stood up. So who are you? Why can't you be found? Why weren't you out there? What are you thinking? Is it true? (laughs) Oh. But see, the person who's God-focused, they're actually able to say, search me, oh God. Search me. Let, Let me see if there's stuff in my heart that's not what you're saying. Examine me. You know, go right down deep. Because is there any wicked thing in me that's keeping me off the way? I'll, you know, I want to move on. I'm willing to face it. Even if I'm feeling insignificant, feeling fear, fear causes you to retreat. See? Fear causes you to go to that hiding place and nurse your fears. But God says it's a time for courage. And it's time for courage means you face the things that fear has had you intimidated with for so long and is wanting you to actually bring it out into the light. And when you roll away that stone, right there is the resurrection and the life, one who's able to breathe and release life into that situation. Oh, the reality of that for you, for you, whatever your situation is, he is here today, the resurrection and the life, and he brings life out of death, no matter how painful it was, no matter how much you're hurting. You know, I believe some of you got secret sin, you know, like Aiken had. Some of you are just wounded. When Mike talked about the Jericho Road, you're the one that's bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road. But there's answers, there's healing for those wounds. You know, maybe you're still suffering with the death of a loved one that has never, you've never allowed Jesus into that area of pain and grief. Maybe uh, even in church, a lot of it happens in church you didn't get what you expected, you got what you didn't deserve, (laughs) you were devalued, you were rejected, you have all sorts of excuses and reasons to have a mindset all over your thinking and keep you unable to proceed into advancing God's kingdom into the city. But it's got to go. Actually, it's time to go because right now God is busting it all away. And I love what resurrection means in in the concordance, Anastasia. It means a standing up again. Oh, I like that. If you're like the people in Ezekiel 37 that are lying down dry, there's a standing up again. You can stand up again today. A recovery of spiritual truth. See, what you've actually got is so... Um, you've conceived that lie that the enemy's told you that nobody cares about you, you don't matter, who would want you anyway? You might as well just stay quiet and shut your mouth because da-da-da-da-da-da. You believe that and you've got to recover spiritual truth, which God says it's time to arise because I need every one of you. Every one of you. Not one can stay in that place of bondage. It's arising again. It's a rising again time. And every one of this body needs to go forward before me can't tolerate the secret sin any longer, because we'll all be impoverished with it. Oh, this is such an exciting time. This is an exciting time. It's a time to rise. I also love Zechariah. Oh, Zechariah said, what are you, great mountain? You look at that thing in your life, it's like a great mountain. It says, before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. You're just going to come down. It might seem big now. We might look at a situation like that baby's health diagnosis. But that's a mountain. But it's going to become a plain. These mountains, two difficult situations, two hard situations, they're going to become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone of the new temple, because he's building a whole new temple here, and with shouts of grace, grace, grace to it, grace is God's enabling power flowing into that thing, and whatever's there has to go, but you have to do your part, you've actually got to roll away the stone, which means actually getting in touch with that network of strongholds and thoughts.